Welcome into another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast presented by Caneswear, D-Money, Spain, and the S is silent. Another loss for the Canes. Tough one this week. They battled. You know, obviously we spoke about it last week, um, but it didn't come out on top. Yeah, disappointing. Um, it's This kind of loss is a loss you expected before the season. Not this particular game necessarily, but this kind of loss, you say, okay, you're going to lose games where it's close and you make some mistakes. But when you combine it with the last two games and the fact that the Coastal is now going to be very difficult to win for Miami, it makes it extra painful. Um, really, to me, the story of the game, you did see improvement with Van Dyke. We're up to 10th in the, in the nation in passing per game, which is crazy to think about when you look at the way the offense is played overall. But Van Dyke found his rhythm. Uh, whatever Gaddis and him put together in the, in, the, in the off week seemed to have worked. Ball was getting his, out of his hands quicker. Uh, he was accurate. You saw him doing some of the things that he does when he's confident, like that touchdown throw to Parrish. He tried some throws that were probably ill-advised, should have been picked, but you could see his confidence and the playmaking instinct come out a little bit, which was a good sign, and hopefully he can carry that forward uh, to the season, rest of the season. But you know, to me, red zone continues to be an issue. The, the short yardage, which, you know, really the, the painful thing about this start is there's nothing you can kind of hang your hat on and say this part is really improved quite a bit. And, you know, you'd hope it would have been the short yardage running. That would have, even with the offensive line not what it is going to be in the future, you hope that you'd see that short-term improvement in the short yardage and just the overall physicality. And that's really uh, let Miami down the past couple of weeks, particularly in this game. Um, you know, you get the one fourth and one rooster fumbles the ball. Uh, just a lot of mistakes. You had a coverage bust by camp kitchens, which was again, these are controllable mistakes. Some of this is talent and Cristobal coach Cristobal was very accurate. when he said, when you don't have a great talent advantage, you're going to be in a lot of close games. There needs to be talent acquisition. That's all true. Uh, what hurts is the things that they can control ball security, um, not busting coverage on, on cover two. Well, I cover think the three. busted coverage is what's so frustrating for the fans because it happens against a middle Tennessee state and you would think, well, that's their wake up call. You know, it's not going to, can't happen again the rest of the year. And then it happens a couple weeks later against, against Carolina. Yeah. And these are mistakes we're seeing cover two, cover three, not the most complicated uh, schemes, not the most complicated defenses, but you're still seeing those errors. And from smart players like Cam Kitchens, who's one of the smartest players on the team. So that's a little frustrating. Um, but yeah, this one, again, missed field goals like we saw against uh, Texas A&M. Just little things uh, that added up uh, to a loss. Not getting out of bounds. You know, the decision to even throw it to Skinner by TVD on the last drive when he really could have just run it and stepped out of bounds. He threw it to Skinner. Skinner's momentum was stalled. Couldn't get out of bounds. You then rush the next throw. It ends up being an interception. You don't have a timeout to use, which maybe you could have used at that point because you, you blew it earlier in the half. Things like that that, again, are controllable. That's the disappointing part because that's what, that's what you pay coaches a lot of money to fix. Still a young season, probably late in the game as far as winning the Coastal. That's going to be an uphill battle. But the ability to turn it around and have a 2016-type second half of the year where you really get clicking, get things rolling, and win some games, go into the bowl and win that, that's still on the table. And it, it needs to start against a Virginia Tech team that is really poor in all facets of the game. And it's interesting because if you would have told us before the game 
that Miami would have held Carolina to 27 points and TVD would have thrown for almost 500 yards, I mean, it would have been, you would have thought that, that would have been a win for them. So the defense, although again, there were some breakdowns still, you would have thought they played well enough, you know, for Miami to win this game. Well, Miami has an excellent defensive line. I mean, if there's one thing Miami can hang its hat on is this D-line, which is mostly transfers, uh, is legit. They're number two in the nation in sack percentage, meaning the total amount of dropbacks that result in sacks or the percentage of dropbacks that result in sacks. They're number two in the nation in that stat, behind James Madison, so they're number one in P5. Total sacks, they're top 10. Um, the run defense is 15th, even though the linebackers are not the best linebackers of the ACC by any stretch. So that defensive line is really doing its part. And not coincidentally, it's basically a defensive line that was put together from the portal. You know, it's not a lot of homegrown guys there, although Jafari Harvey is really emerging as someone who has a chance to be drafted and, and, and play well at the next level because he's, he's showing more finishing and more uh, just taking over games than he has in the past. I'm really excited with his progress. Um, but, yeah, you cannot make mistakes that give them free points when they're explosive to begin with. You just That's the frustrating thing. This is not going to be a 2001 Miami Hurricanes team. We all know that. But they need to do a better job of controlling what they can control, and then that will put them over the hump in some of these close games that are really coming down to a play or two. And, you know, you give away six points on, on a busted coverage, a fumble, uh, can't convert on a fourth and one, fourth and two, can't convert in the red zone. These things add up. We saw with Texas A&M. We certainly saw with UNC. Uh, this cannot become a pattern or else this is going to be a very ugly first season. Someone in the league mentioned to me on Saturday night that one of the big issues on this team right now is – the offensive line, especially with the injuries, right? So that's going to be a huge thing moving forward. You talked about the the short yardage, you know, run game and, and just the short yardage situations in general. Um, obviously, the offensive line is is a big part of that. But moving forward, you know, what are you hearing in terms of the health of the offensive line? This team as a whole is banged up. I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into too much detail on injuries. But, you know, they're, they're banged up more than, you know, it's, there's, there's, it's been a tough stretch. And they're going to have to pull through. Young guys are going to have to play and play well on the offensive line and other spots. And we'll see how quickly they can get acclimated because there's going to be no choice as far as playing those guys. Uh, I think really with the offensive line, they're down one long athletic tackle it can maybe make everybody slide over a position. That was something they looked for in the portal. They didn't get. If you look at where they missed in the portal, second corner, offensive tackle, receiver, wide receiver, times two. Those are the positions that they really needed and, and are struggling with here. Uh, so I think those misses tell the story a little bit of the season at, at those positions, certainly. Our guest later on the show, Malik Rozier, um, he was great. You know, we got into detail with the passing game and the improvements with that that we saw. From your perspective, you know, how refreshing was it to actually see some vertical, you know, passing game, right? Um, but to see TVD settle in a little bit and look as comfortable as he's looked all year. It was great. And to see someone like Colby Young, who was very raw coming out of junior college, not someone that was, you know, a finished product by any means, got here very late, uh, 
out of shape just because he wasn't in the condition from the summer program. So he was working uphill a lot. And you saw him in camp. He wasn't blowing anyone away. He wasn't playing very fast. But now the game slowed down. He's in better shape. You're seeing him play fast and make a couple plays like he did on Saturday. The confidence elevates. The practice performance elevates. And it all, hopefully, will, will result in a player that you can count on and can give TVD what he needs, which is the ability to throw those 50-50 balls with the expectation that the receiver will come down with it like Rambo did last year. That's not on the team. Colby Young with his big hands, uh, size, overall size, the ability to adjust to the ball, the ability to pluck the ball, he presents at least an opportunity to have that kind of player. So it'll be interesting to watch him going forward. You mentioned, you know, hoping to have a 2016-type second half of the year turnaround. Other than Miami obviously going out there and winning the rest of the games on their schedule, right, which doesn't look very uh, realistic at this point, what is the best case for Miami fans, you know, looking at the rest of the season? Because obviously, you know, the recruiting is going to come into focus now, and this roster needs more guys, so that's going to be Crystal Ball's focus. But in terms of what happens on the field and certain positions and guys developing, what is the best-case scenario for this team? Before the season, I said, you know, something like Cristobal's first year at Oregon or Rick's first year here, which is four losses. That is very daunting right now where the team is at. But you look at last year, they, they cranked out a 5-1 and one finish. Something along those lines would, would be very welcome, obviously. Um, Clemson is going to be a tough one. FSU will be hyped. But really, those are winnable games, aside from Clemson, which any game is winnable. Clemson is going to be a very tough ask. But the rest of the games, Miami should be the favorite going in. Florida State, we'll see on game day. We'll see where the two programs are at that point. But Miami's going to be the favorite in most of these games going forward. So to win the games where you're favored in, maybe balance out some of the bad bounces that you had earlier on the season, some of the self-imposed mistakes that you made early in the season, um, that to me would be tremendous to, to finish on that kind of run. That's a, probably a tough ask with the way they're playing right now and already having three losses in the can. But if they can meet that preseason expectation of four losses, um, an improvement from the prior year, uh, that would be that would be tremendous. But there's a lot of work to be done before they can get to that point. First is beating a Virginia Tech team that's really not good in any area, but certainly at home has the potential to beat this Miami team. So the Canes are what seven and a half point favorites uh, next next weekend, and obviously they were favored this this last weekend against Carolina. Um, but like you said, this has not been a very good Tech team this year. Yeah, their offense is bottom of the barrel in the hundreds. Um, they're a pass-happy offense. They don't run the ball very much. They're a majority pass team, but their passing offense isn't great. Their running offense is, is near the bottom of the country. Uh, their scoring offense is near I can the tell you from country. an NFL talent perspective, they don't have at least the draft-eligible guys. This year there may be some young guys on the team, but um, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone who's a, who's a top-level prospect for them and they're also banked up like Miami is but you look at the defensive side of the ball the, um, you know their 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 yards per play defense is is adequate but their scoring defense is terrible um, really they're they're just a bad football team but they can still beat Miami with an inspired performance Miami coming off the Texas A&M game you lose to Middle Tennessee State coming off the Middle Tennessee State game you lose to North Carolina can they bounce back from a loss even with a game where they're supposed to win. Are they going to be the more motivated team? They should be, but that remains to be seen. 
Um, I think one thing that Virginia Tech does well is protect the quarterback. That's probably the only stat that I found where they were not in the bottom third, you know, bottom 10% of the country was, was they're a pretty decent pass protection team. Let's say in the forties, as far as sack percentage allowed, um, that's Miami's strength is getting after the quarterback. So to me, that's the one matchup I'd watch. If Miami can really get pressure on this guy and and force him out of sorts, it's going to be a tough day for Virginia Tech because they just don't have the explosiveness to, to handle that. Um, but Miami's got to come out motivated. It's a noon 1230 game. It's homecoming for Virginia Tech. A, a lot of things you don't like coming out of a dispiriting loss. So... It's on Mario Cristobal and the coaching staff to have this team ready to play desperate because once you get one win, now at least you feel what a win feels like. You go play Duke at home, which is another extremely winnable game, and you leave, you know, Virginia is horrible this year, which is the subsequent game. You could crank off three wins pretty easily if you play anything close to your talent. Kind of saw it happen you know, last year, right, when, when TVD got, got cooking and – it wasn't a win last week, but you would hope that what the offense showed, right, that carries over to this week. And then if you string a couple of those performances together, right, you need more points than what you got last week. But maybe you can get this thing rolling a little bit. Yeah, a team with a good quarterback and a good defensive line should be able to beat bad teams. That's just college football 101. It's not going to happen every week, but you you should be able to win games against bad competition just by those two positions. So... If they can get them rolling at the same time, we'll see what happens. Last week was a positive step in certain respects, but really disappointing overall. And it's going to be interesting to see how the team responds. So recruiting, obviously we mentioned, it's going to be a big part of the show moving forward. The bank, it's the best place to get the info every week the bank is brought to you this week by underdog fantasy we got a promotion here use promo code cis you get a hundred dollars to match your hundred dollar deposit just like a 401k but a lot more fun this is daily fantasy sports legal in florida most likely going to be legal where you're at uh, this is not online sports betting uh, but a lot of options a lot of fun and a lot of ways to make money with your sports knowledge and uh and beat me and pete you know we'll be posting our picks on the website, CIS will have the sign-up link. Again, promo code CIS. It'll be on Twitter. It'll be on our Facebook, uh, on our YouTube. So the sign-up link will be everywhere. Promo code CIS. Just jump in there and put it in. You get the $100 match. Uh, this week, I did my pick em, my three. I had David Njoku over 45.5 receiving yards. They're utilizing him quite a bit uh, all over the place for Cleveland. Peter knows as his agent. Uh, Justin Fields, over 222.5 total yards. I think he's catching his stride. Bad offense, but great player, and I think he's playing well. He'll run as well as throw. And then I got Brees Hall, 75.5 rushing and receiving yards. Look at the slip. See if you can beat that. Put in three picks like that. It's parlayed. You get five times what you wager. So uh, just a... just a really fun thing to do. You also have best ball fantasy drafts. These are fantasy drafts that continue throughout the season. You don't have to worry about the waiver wire or maintaining things or setting your rosters. You draft and see how that goes, and the best ball will take care of itself. It'll rise the best scores to the top of your lineup, regardless whether you set it or not. It's really just about who has the best draft, and you continue that throughout the season. So a lot of cool stuff with Underdog Sports. And if you're competitive, we will be keeping track on Kane's Insight to see who has uh, the best picks 
Again, promo code CIS, show off your sports knowledge, make some money with underdog fantasy sports. So now getting into the bank. Speaking of money, the bank has been uh, on tough times lately. We're not in the bailout stages yet. We're not on the, uh, you know, the, the savings and loan uh, collapse yet. You were yet. talking all that smack about the work. and Well, listen, I can't control what happens on the field, but I can tell you bank was first to report Antoine Jackson reclassifying. You saw that came yep. out. So, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, to be on the cutting edge, at least of the news. The team's going to do what it does. But, you know, it's interesting. This week I asked around, I said, who are the next names? Who are the names I need to keep an eye on going forward in this class? And to a man, people said, we cannot tell you these particular names, but if people knew who we were working on, they'd go crazy. So, Keep an eye on this class in the next couple of weeks to see if some names emerge to really get people going. I know that's very cryptic, but I'm telling you, when I usually ask, I say, what are the names to watch? I get, for example, Stan Quan Clark, we're putting up the heat on him. Edwin Joseph, we're putting up the heat on him. Like Tayshawn Lyons, we got last week. This time, I'm getting silenced, which means that there's some big names being worked on. I'm told these names would cause a big stir. We'll see when they come out. And then we'll remember this conversation. But Miami is big fish hunting. I heard that with respect to this past weekend, um, with a lot of recruits, the IMG kids, Francis Malgoa, Jaden Wayne, et cetera, and some underclassmen, that the word out of that weekend was it was the best Miami recruiting weekend in years. People who had been here dating back to Al Golden were saying things like that. So a lot of positive momentum from the recruiting side coming out of that loss, even though the, the game itself was, was pretty poor. Um, you know, some other tidbits. I asked what, what players are really stepping up as far as senior seasons. Robert Stafford, I believe I mentioned last week, as someone who's really coming along as, as a guy who's already a blue-chip player, but probably better than that. Uh, the other name I got, Connor Liu uh, out of Georgia. A lot of people think this guy's the best player, the best center in the country. Georgia thought he was the best center in the country. They were after him hard. Grew up a Canes fan. Miami did a great job recruiting him. Uh, this is someone who's... 16, I believe, when the season started, so very young, but just dominating offensively. He's playing tight end. He's scoring touchdowns. He was pointed out as someone, this guy's, we knew he was good, but he's starting to match that potential. Frankie Tinalau was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. You can watch that interview if you haven't seen it. Just check on the YouTube channel or the podcast feed. Uh, he was a great interview for us. But speaking of folks, I say, we knew this guy was a talented guy. We knew he was someone with a lot of potential, but he is a lot better than we thought from what he's shown as a senior. Uh, so that's a name that's, that's rising. Um, Miami is going to hit the portal extremely hard. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, positions that maybe you didn't think were portal positions will be positions that Miami goes after in the portal. I mentioned, I already mentioned two to three wide receivers, um, but there's other spots that maybe last year you said this was a secure spot. We're good for the next couple of years. I think you're going to see those positions potentially get some help uh, that you didn't expect. So, you know, really on recruiting front, all I could say is this is the quietest recruiting time I've heard, and not because nothing's happening, but because people are sworn to secrecy. That In my history, that's usually a good sign. So Miami fans, stay tuned, see what happens there. You know, some of the names we've talked about before as far as Stanquan Clark, Edwin Joseph, um, other names, you know, Samson is going to be a continuous battle. Uh, they'll work that one. Names that we've heard, those will still be the names we're talking about. Chris Johnson is still a priority. Um, but keep an eye out for new names that might be names that you don't expect in the coming weeks. That's that's all I can say on the bank. You threw a stay tuned in there. I don't know if Kane's fans should be worried. You know, it's it's 
take it as a good sign. When people are sworn to secrecy, they usually will be forthright. That tells me that big things are brewing, and uh, I'm excited to see what it is. But I, I heard it, you know, the next couple of weeks we could be we could be seeing some news on the, on those fronts. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canes wear still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season, you know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing, invest in yourself, invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear, the best in the business for South Florida sports. So coming up next on the Canes Inside Podcast, we will be joined by Valique Rogier. All right, want to welcome in the very special guests for tonight's Canes Inside Podcast, Malik Rogier. Last Miami quarterback uh, to to lead the Canes to a ten win season, and you know obviously it's been on what twenty years, D, pretty much. You know, Close to only it, yeah. quarterback to to lead the Canes to a ten win season in that span. So, um, and and now doing great things. You know, still involved in the you know with the Canes doing the pregame and the postgame shows. You know, on five sixty, um, but working with a lot of the guys on the team in the NIL space with another project that that you're that you're that you're involved in Malik so if you want to you know talk about that real quick the Miami Millionaires Club is is what I'm referencing so talk yeah, about so, what you're what you're doing with with the guys on the team and former Canes as well yeah so we'll start off from Miami Millionaires Club so we have our website up um it's miamimillionaires.io um and for anyone that really wants to help out there's actually a section if you're a business owner um it's called join the network at the very bottom um, we would love for you to fill that out. So right now we're um, doing stuff where we're looking for different business partners that are either Miami alumni or your local Miami business owners to really network with these guys once they graduate. So maybe there's a, a volleyball player, a basketball player that wants to get in your field. We're trying to kind of help uh, you two guys connect. Um, and that's something that we're working directly with the university on slowly. Um, and really, if you're just someone else that just says, hey, I don't own a business, but I want to support. Um, we have NFTs. Um, if you don't know much about them, we do have a Twitter called Miami Mills Club, and we'll help you. We'll walk through um, every step with you. Um, I'll do it myself personally. That's stuff that that I've been uh, trying to help people with is understand NFTs, crypto, how to be safe, because um, it can be positive. But obviously, uh, plenty of people have been in the space. And if you do it wrong, if you do it by yourself, you can get scammed. You, you, you can um, get hurt. Um, and I would say for anyone that doesn't really want to get into crypto, we also take credit card processing. So um, if you don't want to uh, fiddle around with Solana, which is how you pay for it, um, we have a button where you can click it. There's a video on our Twitter where I did it myself. I went through, used my credit card, bought an NFT. Um, and the reason why we're doing that is because uh, we want to help these kids really understand that if you take the time to make a business plan, um, we have people that want to help you. So we want to give them a $10,000 business donation. Um, it'll go directly to the business, but we want them to come. And you're talking about the athlete. Yes, the athlete. We're going to give the athlete a $10,000 business grant. But what we want to do over time is, is obviously like year one, my business partner said, yes, we would love to do that. But over time, like I want the fans to understand that as much as you go to watch, like we need to support these guys, not only on the field, but also this is the way it's $100 for you, but it's going to stretch. It's going to help these kids not only with football, but also after football. So um, that's what a lot of the money's going towards is really just um, getting the money together for this business grant. So 
Yeah, man, a lot of lot of great stuff you're working on there. Like you said, go check out the social media accounts for Miami Mills Club uh, if you want more information about about what Malik and and the team over there is is doing. Um, so on the field, also you're you're doing the the QB training stuff with QB Country. So obviously we're gonna get into a lot of the quarterback stuff at Miami right now and what's going on with the team. It's been you know a rough start for the team, a rough start offensively obviously, but this past week, some signs of life, right? Yeah. I mean, what was the biggest difference, you know, passing game-wise? We'll go there before we get into the offense as a whole. Um, but for Tyler, I mean, he looked like a different guy out there. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing was that he looked comfortable, you know what I mean? And um, he messaged me after the game. He was like, yeah, I felt good. I felt comfortable. And I think that's it. You know, I, I one thing I give James Coley that's um, over at Texas A&M that when Brad Kai came in as a freshman, he made Brad feel super comfortable. And that's why Brad and his offense was very successful because Coley gave him plays that were in his offense, but he let Brad Kaya pick. He was like, hey, Brad, here are the 10, third, and six calls. Okay, and then Brad would go through and pick three of the six. So it's still James Coley's plays, but it's plays that Brad's comfortable with. So as the plays are being called, it's not like, I don't like this play. I don't like this or that. And I think that's where uh, Gaddis and Tyler Van Dyke, I don't know exactly what they went into, but I think that started one to happen is that Tyler's being more vocal with them. They're understanding the type of quarterback that they have. And we understand like most of these guys came from different systems, had different quarterbacks. So like they're learning everybody. Um, obviously we saw a lot of success this week. So I hope that, you know, they can add more of the run game, kind of that Texas A&M style to the passing that they had last week. And it's interesting because you saw some different guys step up in terms of the skill position players, right? And it seems like every week you've been waiting for guys to step up, and it's that's kind of been almost the built-in excuse for the passing game, right? Well, he, you know, the, the guys around him haven't been as consistent. But, again, it seemed like this week all of that was just wiped out, and, it, you know, we saw shades of what we saw last year with that downfield passing game um which again which that was something that tyler was very comfortable with last year yeah and i think that's the biggest adjustment that i saw between week one and week two or really last week and week before was that you know i felt like the last couple of weeks they did a lot of rpos with throwing flats to will mallory trying to outrun stuff um which is really really good but to me, I think our tight ends are athletic, but to me, the last tight end that could really do something like that is probably David Njoku. And that guy was a receiver that transferred over. Right. It was like, oh, I he think, was a linebacker. Don't don't forget he yeah, was a listen, linebacker listen, he, too. He, he <laughs> our, listen, he almost transferred from Miami when they put him at linebacker. So I definitely remember that. Yeah, that was a uh, pretty, pretty, pretty funny experience for him. But, you know, I think that they're starting to learn, okay, like this guy has speed, but it's not good enough. So now let's go back to more of that vertical passing game, which obviously you can tell they're comfortable with. But I still think there's a couple of drops that, you know, we had on a couple of long passes. I know there was uh, – didn't Skinner have one mm -hmm. um, down the middle? So it's like those passes can't happen that, yes, the pass game is good, but like how many more yards could we have? Like how much better could we be? And I think that to me is when you play teams like Clemson, if we're trying to still continue this run with the ACC – like, those are plays that we have to make. You know I mean? We play Florida State. Like, I don't know if you've seen their receivers, but Pittman's really good. Yep. And big six seven kid, like, they don't drop those balls. And then, like, that's what you're going to have to go against. So, it's like, I know – Johnny guys, Wilson, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I know Skinner's young, but the guys made that play. You know I mean? There's no reason for him to drop it. Like, if if you put him out there with no fans and it's him and Tyler Van Dyke, he catches that catch 10 out of 10 times. So, it's like – calming those guys down saying, hey, you've made this play millions of times. Just go out and make it again. So I think when they start consistently making the routine plays, like this team's going to be really hard to beat. Malik, uh, obviously this this 
offense, if you look at the numbers, they're top 10 in passing offense. It doesn't feel that way because of the end result. Mm-hmm. Red zone, we know that's been the issue. You were a guy who used, you put it in the paint. Um, you, that was the strength of your game just from watching from the outside. What's different once you get in that red zone? What are the things you need to do to be successful and turn a good drive into a six-point, seven-point scoring drive? Yeah, I would say one, um, understanding that the windows are a lot tighter. So, like, um, one thing that I really emphasize with a lot of my quarterbacks saying, hey, you know, if you have a three-step drop, like if it's a corner, okay, and you're doing a regular three in the field, your feet have to be so much faster in the red zone because his route's probably going to be a little bit shorter. The window is going to become faster. If it's like, let's say it's a crush, we got the corner by the inside and the hitch by the outside. If you're too late, that corner on the hitch could fall off and now he picks your corner. So it's like everything has to speed up in process. And then secondly, it's trust. You know what I mean? Tyler's throwing to new guys. I think you're seeing guys like uh, Kobe Young come alive in the red zone. So I think they're finding some guys that can make plays, but that's really what it comes down to. There's plenty of times where, it's one-on-one cover, just cover zero. I'm throwing balls up to Braxton. I'm throwing balls up to Ramon, and I'm hoping that they come down with it. You know what I mean? I'm just like, hey, like, I know they've made this play. They're going to make it for me, so I'm just going to give them kind of what Rick called like a 60-40 ball. It's where our guys have a better chance than them. So as long as I do my job, it's their job to come down with it. So I think that's something that, you know, once you get into the red zone, a lot of that trust factor, the relationship, understanding, like, how they come out of their break, things like that really, really matter. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about, Brad Kaya and Coley and some of the the relationship they had. One thing that jumps out from the transition from Brad to you was, you know, you were running draws, you were doing things that Brad Kaya was not going to be doing. Mm -hmm. So how important is it to have that offensive coordinator and quarterback come together and talk about not just plays they like, but really adjusting to the strengths of of their game? Uh, You know, is that something, how's that process work? How'd that work for you going, you know, the same coach, from Kaya to, to you, but obviously a much different looking offense. How was that process? Yeah, um, I think that's something that we're slowly going to see with Gaddis's offense. Um, you know, year one, when you have a talented team, the worst thing you want to do is confuse them. You know what I mean? You want to stay simple. Um, obviously, you're going to add some advanced stuff. But um, what I can say that Rick really did was year one, I remember Brad was there. We were eye formation, offset eye. We had uh, Mark Rez Williams, Pops as our fullback. Like, we were heavy. And then all of a sudden he was like, okay, I don't have, I have a more mobile quarterback. I can adjust. I can, I can change. And so I think that's kind of what, what we're going to see over time, especially um, if we ever do change from Tyler to Garcia, I think you're going to see kind of the same adjustment of a more mobile style um, offense, but a lot of it does run through your quarterback. Like Brad was never a runner. Um, I hope Tyler stops becoming a runner. He's been running a little bit too much uh, for my liking. Um, but I think the guy's trying to make plays, so I can at least um, fight his competitive spirit, but I think your offense definitely does change. I think we saw it a couple of times where uh, Drake may, he's not that fast, but he has the ability to stretch some runs and he ran a couple QB draws. So that's where it's like having that mobile guy um, definitely affects teams on third down. Something we're talking about with me, it was harder for teams to kind of run that deep blanket. You're in the deep blanket. It was third and five. Like I would get past a linebacker to get that five, six yards. And that's kind of where like, like it really helped our offense in some ways. Big topic with the fans is tempo. You know, this is not the, this is not what we had in the past two years as far as the pace of play and the amount of plays. You as a quarterback, did you like playing at a faster tempo? Was it easier for you? Did it just depend on the situation? I mean, what's your view on tempo in college football today? Yeah, I am a air raid lover. Um, I'm probably not as fast as Oregon, but I probably want to be a second behind them. <laughs> um, very Didn't much- you guys run a cr- – like a, a- – you guys ran in, in in high school, like every play. Yeah, right. too, right? yeah, high school. yeah, we did. We ran Tony Franklin. So Tony Franklin was one of the original yeah. inventors of the air raid. 
Um, he didn't do as much um, as what like the Ricks like to call green words, where it's like, hey, Giogi, and it tells you the entire play, formation, cadence, everything. Um, he was big into like four vertical concepts and throwing digs and, and slants off of four verts. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm big into tempo. I feel like when you tempo teams, um, one, you see if they're conditioned. So a lot of times you get a lot of defense alignment that are out of shape. Um, secondly, what happens is teams become more vanilla. Um, so you're going to get more simple cover one, cover three, cover two, because you can't go as complex. Um, secondly, they got to show their hand early. Um, so that's some ways where if you start tempo in teams, it really, really frustrates them. Um, but the problem is you got to have offensive guys that think that fast. So as fast as like the OC is thinking, everyone on the team has to think that fast because otherwise it is going to be slower. You're going to have false starts. You're going to have guys that are running the wrong route. So that's where it's like, as we, like I'm saying, like I, I think Gaddis can go more tempo, but kind of the same thing that Rick did. You got to slow it down, install your plays so that I know these plays for the last two or three years. So when you call it as one code word, I understand what everything means. Because it's like me teaching you English because what, what Lashley called one play, Gaddis is going to call the same play, something totally different. So they got to register in their brain that when I hear this play, it's it's not what Lashley called, it's what Gaddis is called. So also we got to understand that too, that like, just because these guys come in doesn't mean that they're going to not change their terminology. Cause when Rick came in, we had to learn all of Mark Rick's code words, all of his terminology, how he called offense. So it's like, I don't know how they adjusted to that. The best situation I've ever seen was Todd Munkin. Munkin adjusted when I was at Georgia and Munkin came in from Cleveland, he adjusted his code wording to Georgia's code wording. So I hope some of that kind of went along. I hope that they're taking place. Of, hey, what did you guys call this? Um, but I have been in offenses where it was like Rick's where like we literally had to scratch everything we knew from the from Coley and we had to learn Mark Rick's offense. So that's why sometimes if they are in turn and in, installing new offenses where it is a whole new terminology, it will take them longer to kind of speed things up because people have to think that fast. Ever since uh, Restrepo went down and even before that, right, I think everyone was kind of looking for that guy on the outside to mm. emerge, right? Looking at Miami's roster right now and obviously a Jacoby George is is hurt right so we'll you know we'll take him out of the equation but Colby Young had his moment you have a Romello Brinson Frank Ladson Keyshawn Smith Rashard Smith out of those guys right and I, I may be forgetting a name or two but which of those guys excites you from what you've seen you you know if you were the quarterback right and and Miami was in this situation you were looking for a spark right which of those guys' skill set, any of those guys kind of stick out to you? To me, I think it was Ladson. Um, I really liked him. I watched some of his highlights at Clemson. Um, I think he has a lot of upside. I would say the guy that surprises me the most is Keyshawn. I think he's been the most consistent receiver, and he was someone that I didn't know if he was going to come around. But, I mean, the guys made play after play. Um, but, yeah, to me, it would be those two. I, I, I think Keyshawn either has to continuously make plays and make Tyler feel comfortable saying, hey, I know – Xavier's not here, but I can be your go-to guy because I, I, that's what Tyler's looking for. And I think, you know, these last five weeks, Keyshawn has slowly grown, shown that he can make the play, shown that he consistently make the plays. He made a lot of uh, comeback catches versus Texas A&M on some big downs. So it's like that to me was the guy that surprised me most. But the guy that I think that me as a quarterback I'm looking at, is it has to be Ladson Knight. He had the play versus uh, Middle Tennessee State that probably would have been picked if he didn't snatch it out the air on one of those RPOs when he was running like that uh, five-step glance route. So it's like that's the guy that's like, wow, like not many guys are going to be tough enough to make that. So like I need that out of you. Like you show me you can make it. So that's, let's make it consistently. So that's a guy that to me that if I'm Tyler, I'm pushing him, I'm pushing him. He's a guy that can all, not only help you in the open field, but obviously in the red zone. And then 
Um, I'm glad that Young's coming around because I didn't know much about him until really the last the last game when I saw him make some plays. Well, I, I think a lot of it, too, with these receivers, right, goes back to what you were just talking about. How 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 comfortable do they feel in the offense, right? There may be certain guys who don't fully have a grasp of the playbook and everything that's going on, right? So if you're a quarterback, it's tough to trust a guy like that, no? No matter how talented they are. Yeah, um, I would say it's funny. So the biggest savior on the 2017 team was Braxton Berrios. Uh, there were so many times where the play would come in and I would literally look over at Jeff Thomas to make sure he knew the play. And the person that was standing right beside him, Braxton Berrios. So it's like people don't understand that, like, you do need someone out there that, like, knows to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing. Because and that, that was X. Comfort. You know what I mean? That gave me comfort. So if, like, Jeff was looking at me big eyeballed, I'd have to run all the way over and be like, it's a post. Like, Braxton, right <laughs> like, you got a post, you're good. And, like, he would, you know what I mean? So it was like, I think there needs to be that guy that, like, makes sure that, like, if you're in the slot or you're outside guy, like, make sure everyone's on the same page. Even if it's for a split second. I know it's hard. I know it happens fast. But um, I've seen Braxton do it plenty of times. Um, I know he saved a lot of plays, a lot of missed routes because he took his time for a split second before he got set to make sure like Jeff Thomas was on the same page as everybody else. Colby Young was the guy who came in late, right? Yep. Came yeah. In so, late. Yeah. you know, he came in, he came in for fall camp. That's, it's tough uh, to, so. That, that is tough, but I mean, I'm glad though, because the, the, the big thing about that is with a guy like Kobe, as long as he shows that he can make plays, you can give him like 20 plays saying, hey, here's about five or six runs. And here's about 14 passes, okay? And then you slow step, okay, and once you get these 20, now let's go 25. Right. And the good thing is, is that when you're in the fall and the summer, um, you're learning the entire playbook. When you're playing a team, the playbook condenses because you're only going to run plays that attack their specific defense. So that's where it's like, as long as he can grasp the basics of what this offense is running, he should be able to implement like special plays that right. like he can learn over the weeks. Cause there's usually, I would say from week to week, you probably carry over 50% of your base offense and you might add 40. And then like, it just depends on like how um, gadgety you want to get, but most of the time your base offense is carried from week to week. So he should be good. So I'm, 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 I'm excited to see how he integrates into more of the game. Malik, when, when people hear your name, you know, the first thing they'll think is winning big games, you know, cause we haven't done that. Miami has not done that a lot in the past 20 years. That's the kind of what people associate with you. So just from a team standpoint, you know, quarterback standpoint, what's the difference between the teams that have talent and maybe don't deliver in those big games and, and perform under their talent as we've seen over the past two decades quite a bit, and then the teams that show up, which again, talk about Notre Dame game, Virginia Tech game, it just it looked different. You know, there's been talent, but that looked different. What do you think the key was for those type of performances going over that hump? Yeah, I would say, one, that team got tired of losing. Um, I think that, you know, if if you compare the 2014 team that I came into compared to that 2017 we won with, that 2014 team on paper would smoke us. I mean, they had guys like Duke Johnson, Denzel Perryman, Rayshon Jenkins, Deion Bush. Like, you know, like me and Braxton were just scratching the surface trying to play for that team. So it's like – the talent wasn't there, but that 2017 team, man, we just, we bonded. Like there was never a point, like I, I don't, I, there might've been some small fights, but there were never any big fights. I remember when I first came there, like during nine on seven drill, the offensive alignment, defense line were fighting literally every day. Um, before the bowl game, we had an entire team fight. The only people I didn't fight was me, Brad, Ryan Williams, and the two kickers, everyone else was in the fight. Um, so it was like, you know, <laughs> the teams were talented, but they weren't together. You know what I mean? You had like, you had like clicks, like you'd walk in and you was okay. There are the white guys over there. They're like the crowd that hangs with everybody. And then there's the black guys. Like, that's kind of how it, how it operated. And it's like, 
that 2017 team, everyone was like crossing. We were mingled. You know, Rick did a good job of, you know, at one point it was very like segregated. Rick like did it by numbers. So, like everyone was integrated with everybody. Um, and I think that's what really helped us was that, you know, you had guys that because you sat beside someone, you were forced to learn about him. You know what I mean? Otherwise, like you would pick your lock. You're like, oh, I'm over here. I'm with my DBs. So like all the DBs sat in one corner. All the quarterbacks were in one corner. It was really clicked. And, you know, and, and I think when Rick made it by number order and you had like, a receiver by a DB, by a running back, by a safety, by a corner. Those guys are going to end up got offense by defense instead of like defense on one side, offense on the complete other. So I think that has a lot to do to play for because there's times to where like, I ain't gonna lie to you, I was hurting. I mean, there was games I had concussions. There was games that I got my shoulder shot up. There was games that, you know, like I, I literally could barely practice, but it was like, I knew on Saturday that I had to deliver because I was tired of losing and that we put in too much effort and that like I knew my brothers were going forward. So there was no way that I wasn't going to go out there too. You know what I mean? So it was just like, that's the mentality that like this team has to at some point get, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like you don't play for the fans. You don't play for anyone else besides yourself and your family, to be honest with you. And that's where like, at some point it has to be more than yourself. It has to be okay. Like I now play for my brothers and that's when you get a winning team. Cause most people play for themselves and their family talking about why do you play? Oh, I, I want to be a millionaire. And I want to take care of my mom, and my brother. Okay, that's gonna make you good, but you by yourself won't win a football game. I promise you. You know, what I mean, be good as you want, but you can't win it by yourself. So it's like whenever, like, man, like I play now because like I want to see Jaquan Johnson be successful. I want to see Braxton Barrios be successful. That's when the team goes from good to great because now you're not selfish no more. You know what I mean? And that's where like this team at some point has to get to. Man, Mario's having all these people come in talk to the team. Malik. Malik might need to, <laughs> need to go over there, man. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm. I'm. I, I want to help them more business wise. You know, I. 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 I think that um, a lot of guys, when you start understanding how the world works outside of football, you can see football in a different aspect. You know what I mean? So now I. I. I see it a lot differently, um, and I. I think it'll open a lot of people's eyes to kind of what's out there. But um, yeah, I would love to come back and talk to those guys sometime. I'll say Malik last one because we asked the the forum, the website, you know, the members, what questions you want to ask Malik? And one of them, one of the users, his name's jacked around. I don't know what that means, but he said that uh, <laughs> you want to know what's your favorite memory of that 2017 season? What sticks out to you personally from that year? Uh, it has to be Florida state. Um, I know that one's cliche, but I mean, you know, every year I was there, we got beat. We had the block field goal. We had the miss field goal. Um, and then people don't, I mean, some people know, but I was born in Tallahassee. Um, I went to my first Miami game where it was the Miami FSU game. Whenever Ja'Cory Harris threw a touchdown to Kelvin yep. Benjamin zone, that was my first Miami game ever. Um, my whole family was there. So my dad was there, mom, sisters, like everybody. And I remember like coming out of the game and just like seeing my entire family, like crying and my people don't understand, like my sisters were Florida state fans and they transferred over to Miami fans just because of me. So to see them in like Miami year crying for a team that they grew up loving, but they're happy for me to me was like the most impactful memory that I've ever had there. So, yeah, you were talking about throwing 50, 50 balls earlier. And I was going to say, you, you know, Daryl Langham, you gotta, you gotta give him a, give him a shout out. That guy made play. That was like his fourth play of the game. Yeah. Cause Amon got hurt. Cager was in and then Cager started getting gas. Well, I mean, listen, people don't, don't remember that in all actuality, 
he hadn't played all that much and and no. produced all that much in his Miami career up to that point. So it was like it was like what happened the other day with Kobe Young. Obviously, it had you know it wasn't the same uh, situation, but it's like a guy that you just don't no one expects it from, right? And yeah, it was even more improbable because he wasn't though. Like me and me and Daryl had that. Like that's one thing I can say is that like you know um, I he's probably gonna be happy to hear this, but like. Daryl was like one of my best drinking buddies. You know what I mean? Like we would literally walk across <laughs> the street after practice and we would go get drunk together for hours. You know what I mean? Like my freshman year, I wasn't playing. So like, what else am I going to do in Miami after practice? So I practice class. <laughs> but it's like, I never once questioned if Daryl was going to come down with that ball. You know what I mean? Like I never once like looked over there and was like, oh crap, it's Daryl Langham that hasn't played. And I knew Lawrence Cage was to my left. I, right. I couldn't, have, man, I want to throw to Lawrence because Lawrence is my playmaker. You know what I mean? And it's just like, nah, like the safety gave me the look where he was in the middle of the field. I was always taught that, you know, you take the shortest throw. And I, and I knew that if I gave the guy a chance, he was going to make the play. So I think at some point, Tyler has to just trust those guys and say, hey, like I'm going to give you a ball and you guys got to make it. And I'm consistently give you that same ball. And I think that's where, um, they'll get it at some point, but I'm I'm definitely interested to see when they get there. Well, listen, uh, like you said, it wasn't it wasn't very pretty when you got to Miami those those <laughs> early few years. So hopefully, you know what's going on in Miami with the early start to the Mario Cristobal era is just you know the beginning of of you know the great turnaround, and these guys will be able to these young guys will be able to experience some of the stuff that you're you're talking about, you know. Yeah, and the big thing to the fans, man, and I'll, I'll iterate this all the time, is show up to the games if you can. Um, even if we lose, I I know you guys don't like it, but I'll tell you this. One, it affects the other team. Secondly, it affects the recruits. You know what I mean? If you want to be good, like, okay, we understand that we have work to do, but if you really want to be good, it's our future. So what do you do? You show that our future, that we're going to support not only the current team out there, but them as well. Um, so I think that, too, needs to be overemphasized, is that the way you win now, when you look at Alabama, we look at Georgia – they have four and five stars all over the field. We'll get that at some point, but we got to show those kids that, hey, like we're here to support you. You know what I mean? Like we want you guys here. We want to be out here for you. I, I know there's a ton of stuff to do. Like I drive four hours from Tampa every Saturday for home games to make sure that I'm down there. So it's like, you know what I mean? If you're in South Florida and you got some free time, please go out there. I know that the fans, I mean, I love to hear you guys cheer. And I know the players do too. So um, I think that Mars done a great job with recruiting, but we now have to support him and the recruits by showing up to the games for the current players as well. Malik Rozier, awesome talking to you. Canes uh, fans, you know, ch check in with him on social media. You can see everything that he's involved with. And, uh, huh. you know, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again. And it'll be when Miami's on a 6-7 game winning streak uh, heading into the, you know, heading into the, you know, the end of the season. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Definitely agree with that. Well, I'll definitely see you guys around FRM. Definitely. Be All right, Malik. Thank you, man. Appreciate you joining us. Well, we'll get into the questions now from the Canes fans. Um, so, yeah, well, I got one for you, Pete. This is from our old friend, Mark Chandler. Mark Chandler, the the young-looking 65-year-old motorcycle legend. What steps is Coach Cristobal taking to change the culture within the program, and how long should it take? So I, this is a trendy uh, question, right? When it comes to culture change and, you know, a lot of this stuff you won't see on the field, especially this early, right? So just from being around guys on the team and obviously working with, with a lot of guys on the team, one thing that is a common 
theme is that it's not a free-for-all as much as it was with the previous staff. And what do I mean by that? This staff is on them more about the nutrition stuff, you know, what they're putting in their bodies. Obviously, the, the workouts are way tougher from what from what they say. The 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 stuff with going to class and tutoring, it's just tougher inside that building, right? So what we're seeing right now, obviously there's there's a guys on the team who are resisting that change, right? And I think part of what this is is the growing pains, right? It's this is the not immediate success, right? That hopefully we can see some signs of change, you know, at the second half of the season. But when you hear everyone saying, "Oh, it's going to take some time," it's more than just getting the players in there, right? It's molding these guys who are in that locker room, right? And you know, you heard Malik Rogier say it, right? Some of the changes and the growth that they went through uh, from the time that he got there in 2014, those guys were tired of losing. Yes, some of these guys have, have lost a lot of games already, but it's just going to be that natural growth that comes with, you know, that culture change. It's going to be the little things day in and day out. That's what they are more on top of them about. So, yes, the results aren't showing just yet. But, you know, Canes fans, stick with it. I think we'll see the results soon. And again, this people are going to hear that and be like, oh, cliche. We've heard this a million right. times. You're not saying you're, you're saying this because you've heard it from, from players, players who are doing the right. Doing and, who, and right. Who were with the, the previous staff as well. So um, this is coming from them. This is not my opinion on it. Oh, well, before you could say I was oh, these guys are this is what I'm hearing. Right. No, this is actually what the players are are saying themselves and I think they've said they've said it in interviews right throughout the time that Chris Wall's been there but I'm telling you that's what the sentiment is from them um and I think you'll see the positive effects of it eventually hope so what do you got for me so this one here uh from Twitter Ryan Samuels 43 mentally, why don't South Florida recruits work out for Miami? Is it an attitude thing, a sense of entitlement? How can our attitude issues be reflected in how well transfers do at Miami, such as KJ Osborne, Jalen Phillips, Charleston Rambo, all came from elsewhere, uh, and we're pretty much the best players right away. Well, remember, transfers, those guys are already good, so there's not a lot of projection. You know, I promise you if Miami was able to get Zay Flowers out of the transfer portal or Torian Perry from, from Wake Forest those guys would have been good too. Those are South Florida guys that got that Miami didn't recruit out of high school. If you get them when they're already first team all ACC, bringing them in, they're going to be good. So transfers are generally going to be better because you know they're good already. They're, there's not a lot of guesswork. Um, as far as the South Florida recruits, I think there's a few things. Number one, you need to get the best ones. You can't be getting the best ones plucked out of here regularly. And when I say the best ones... The guys that Alabama takes usually have character, they have, they're workers, they're tough, and they have the physical tools. There's usually not a lot of question marks with those guys. You know, a Patrick Sertan, what's the question mark with that guy? Well, I think, I think Canes fans will point to the two two Outwells of the world who weren't really recruited by a Miami but go to a Louisville and is, you know, the best guy on the field right away. Right, and that's a whole separate problem, too. I mean, again, the guys we mentioned, Flowers and A.T. Perry, the two all-ACC first-team wide receivers are from South Florida, and Miami doesn't have any receivers. So, you know, that's 
that's glaring. That's an evaluation issue. But as far as like, I think I think what the question was was more like, why are the guys we get not doing it? Panning I think it's out. just yeah. you're not getting guys that are can't miss. You're getting guys with a flaw here or a flaw there, and then you have a team that's not performing well and not developing guys in general. If you get a Patrick Sertan, it's going to be hard for him to miss, no matter where you're at. Uh, Dallas Turner from St. Thomas Aquinas, who's really one of the best players on Alabama's defense. He's not going to miss really many places because he has the character. Well, they may not tool. miss, but are those? But is Sertan ending up as a top ten pick? No, but he's going to be good. I, I'd take by. I mean, what's what's his weakness, right? Um, same thing with. I'm Mike. with it, but I'm just. This is what the Miami Jordan, fans will Jordan go out Battle, there and say. Another Alabama. Yeah. We're mentioning you know three Alabama guys. Jordan Battle from St. Thomas, a guy who had character coming out. He had physical measurables coming out, verified testing, and he was a very productive player. He's one of Alabama's best players. So the good teams are getting guys that don't have a ton of question marks. All right. Attitude-wise, I mean, they don't need to take somebody with maybe a questionable attitude because they're Alabama, they're, they're picking and choosing. So they're coming down here to get guys that fit the profile in every respect. Um, so I think some of that is we just need to do a better job of recruiting the best guys locally and not conceding the Cam misses, the Brandon Innes's of the world to – an Alabama or Ohio State. Because a guy like Brandon Innes, just to think of a local example, who's the number one prospect in, in South Florida this year, his character is impeccable as far as football character. I don't know him off the field. I haven't heard anything bad. But certainly insane competitor, insane worker, gamer. So, you know, it has the, has the, the game as well, the talent. So there's not a lot of downside with a guy like that. That's why Ohio State comes and takes him. If you start getting guys like that, you're not going to worry as much about these South Florida yeah. guys going bust because they have a lot. There's less margin for error. Those guys are going to succeed. When you take guys that maybe are, are rated high, but they have some, they're raw in certain respects. Put them in a system that's that's not successful, a, pro, a culture and a program that's not successful. They're more likely to go bust. Like a, you know, like we know that we know all the names. I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, I think a kids. good a, a good example of a guy on, on the Miami roster would be a Cam Kitchens of of everything that you that you're looking for in a South Florida recruit. I mean, Cristobal said it himself. He goes, "This guy is your consummate South Florida player," and he said it as a compliment. And Kitchens is a good player. He's made a lot of big mistakes. Right. I will say for those of you who are older fans who remember the 1998 uh, season, um, the 1999 season. Ed Reed made a lot of those mistakes. I'm not saying Cam Kitchens is going to be Ed Reed, but guys that are smart and like to be aggressive, they learn the hard way as young players. Ed Reed against Penn State, a memorable, memorable uh, bust when he was supposed to be helping out Mike Rumpf and led to a long touchdown that cost us the game. So those things happen. Cam Kitchens is a good player. You need more of those guys that bring the total package of intangibles, strength, and speed. You need to do a better job evaluating the Zay Flowers and the A.T. Perrys of the world because, you know, it's not like these are – it's not like South Florida stopped producing players. I mean, this has been – if you look at the at the kickoff classics this year, South Florida teams play teams from all over the country. I'm pretty sure they ran the table. They beat everybody, well, and, and including Schefter, IMG. Listen, Schefter puts out his tweet every year with, with the the counties and the, the regions with the most talent and – it's always Miami and Broward up there. We had three South Florida quarterbacks starting this weekend in the NFL. I saw Geno Smith, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett, uh, actually four, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so four, four South say. Florida quarterbacks started in the NFL this, this year or this week. How many of those went to, went to Miami? None. But 
you look at their character, Jacoby Brissett, Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson. You know, these are guys that you, know, you, know, you don't have to worry about, about their character and their work ethic. You need more guys that have the total package, and usually those are the guys that get plucked. That's what we need, that's what we need to do a better job of, of, of protecting those can't-miss guys. Brandon Innes being the absolute top example this year, somebody that you, you get a guy like him, you won't be complaining about South Florida culture you know, because he will be elevating the culture of the room. So I think that's, that's really what it boils down to, just doing a better job of getting the best guys locally. Sounds easy. It's very hard to do. Um, but I think intangibles are a major part of that, of that package, both with terms of recruiting sleepers and picking the blue chippers and prioritizing the blue chippers. Well, you said Miami's big game, big game hunting, and some wins would definitely help them uh, reel those guys in. So this weekend, Virginia Tech, we'll see if the Canes can get on a uh, get the winning streak going. Because, like you said, I think once they get one, uh, things will start going in the right direction for them. Yeah, we need a positive podcast. We need to be, you know, we'll we'll celebrate that Virginia Tech win like it's a, uh, you know, the like- preseason high pod seems many moons ago. They always do, um, but uh, you know. I'll have a midseason high pod if we string together a couple wins. It's not going to take much with where we're at right now. So let's beat Virginia Tech. Not a very good team in any respect, but definitely can win. So there's some tension there. Uh, let's hope the team shows up to play and uh, we have something to be excited about. A lot of young playmakers emerging at Colby Young, Jaleel Skinner. Let's get those guys going. It'll be fun to fun to watch on Saturday. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, canesinsight.com. You can check everything out there on the on the the message boards and you know get your questions in every week for the show uh maybe maybe we'll answer one of your questions so next week we'll be back here at the frm studios see you guys then